Should I train hard today or take a recovery day? That's a question that athletes have been trying to answer for a really long time and not just answer, but answer correctly. And in seeking to answer that question, technologies like uh, HRV, um, heart rate variability have been developed to try to predict that. Um, But there are also metrics that technology and wearables can't measure, like mechanical pain or maybe the toll of relationship stress or whether or not an athlete actually wants to train. These measures are fatigue indicators and they tell us an athlete's recovery. Learning to track these metrics in meaningful ways that actually allow us to make decisions about working out is the name of the game in evaluating readiness to train. Hey, it's Ben Wise, and this is The Fitness Movement. by Zor Fitness. Zor Fitness is my company and my platform to deliver training-related content to people just like you. The site features in-depth articles, movement breakdowns, and our online training program, The Protocol. And I offer one-on-one remote coaching for fitness athletes. So I hope you check it out. Head over to ZorFitness.com. That's Z-O-A-R Fitness.com. See you there. And welcome back to my rant on evaluating readiness to train. So today's outline is going to be two parts. Part one, I'm going to be talking about the actual fatigue indicators themselves. So markers of recovery or lack thereof. So stuff that was in the title of this episode, so sleep, nutrition, fatigue, pain, those are the fatigue indicators. And then the second part of this, I want to talk about monitoring athlete recovery using those fatigue indicators. So we know what the fatigue indicators are. How can we actually use those to monitor our athletes or yourself if you're the athlete and to um, make training decisions based on what those indicators are telling us? So let's jump into the fatigue indicators themselves. Um, The first one is going to be performance. So an athlete's performance or how they're actually doing day-to-day in their workouts is the number one thing or maybe just the first thing um, that we can be looking at. And certainly as coaches or self-coached athletes, we should be looking at this. So uh, for my athletes is things like their session scores. So they're putting in a number between one and 10 and it's just completely subjective. How do you feel like that session went? Typically, if they put a relatively low number, it's because they didn't hit super great weights. It's because they didn't feel super great. Maybe they're beat up. Maybe they have a little nagging injury. Stuff like that is all going to affect that. Maybe the energy was a little bit lower. They're going to tend to have a lower session score if that happens. Other things you could do like the weight that they used relative to a working max. So rather than going off maybe a lifetime PR um, where they hit that one time and they can never hit more than, you know, 80 or 90% of that now um, using a working max. So like on a good day, what could you hit that sort of a metric to be able to see how close to those numbers were you on that given day? Similar things have been used for like a max vertical jump to just see total power output where people at. The other thing that you can just use is their rating of perceived exertion. So um, if RPE is really high on things that it normally wouldn't be high on, you probably know that fatigue is higher than it should be. So fatigue is going to be masking fitness. So if you have super high fatigue, you're not able to express your fitness and nearly as high of a potential. So you just won't be willing or maybe not able to quote, go there. Like you're not going to be able to dig as hard and be able to push yourself as much if you're Uh, run down and just tired. Yeah. If you're under recovered, you're just not going to have the same metrics. Or if you match those metrics, the perceived exertion of that, so just how it feels out of like maybe a percent of a hundred, instead of feeling like 60 or 70%, um, that might feel like a 90% effort just because you're tired. 
And another thing that we could be using is scores and times on commonly tested pieces. So this only works if you have tested things multiple times and you have a really good idea of where an athlete should be at. So for example, you know, if I have athletes who are trying to improve their, let's just call it engine, and they're on the the rower or the air bike all the time, and I know most of their 5K paces and 2K paces, um, I know what they should be able to hold on certain intervals. So if that's all they're doing and it's a relatively static environment and it's not a Metcon with a bunch of different moving pieces that they've never done before and it's novel, um, but if it's something that's been fairly predictable and it's fairly um, single-sided, uh, it's something that you can look at and be able to see like, man, like this is something that they probably should have been able to hold like, you know, 20 calories per minute on these shorter intervals like this um, because they were able to hold that much in their 10 minute test. Well then, okay, maybe they're just a little bit under recovered. And if that correlates with maybe a poor session score and uh lower sleep over the last three days, then wow, you probably are onto something there. So Performance is the first place I would look and it's something that as an athlete, as a coach, you are constantly being in touch with, like you are constantly monitoring um, your output and your work and what you're actually doing, quantifying on a daily basis in training. So it's something that you're already probably tracking. So you might as well get a really good idea of where that's at and how that correlates with fatigue. Our next metric is sleep. And this is probably the single thing that I would focus on to try to improve your recovery besides maybe just training less if you're training with way too much volume. So if you're training under your MRV or your sort of a theoretical concept of your max recoverable volume, if you're training underneath that, then the next thing that you can do to maximize your recovery is sleep more. So total time in bed and total testosterone are highly, highly correlated. I mean, that's just the way that they do studies because it's really hard to measure how long people are actually asleep. So they just do total time in bed. But getting in bed earlier, getting off electronics and spending more time in bed, you are probably going to recover faster. Um, it's probably the single thing that you can do the easiest and the cheapest and is the most beneficial for your performance. Um, sleep more. I really considered doing an entire episode just on sleep, um, but I think having a slightly bigger picture here and do um, be able to apply this in the second half of this episode a little bit more practically is going to be super helpful for a lot of people. But realize that that's the kind of level I'm talking about here for sleep. Like you have to be able to optimize your sleep. And if it's not something that you're focused on, you need to basically ignore everything else I'm going to talk about and start working on your sleep. If you're not sleeping more than eight hours a day and you consider yourself to be a high level athlete, yeah, you got some stuff to work on. So that being said, probably the most obvious thing you can do is improve the quantity of sleep. So how much time you're actually asleep, um, or at least the amount of time that you're in bed and relaxed and winding down. But in addition to that, we can also improve the quality of that sleep, or we might call this sleep efficiency. So yes, you are in bed for maybe eight hours, but how much of that time are you actually asleep or how much of that time are you actually in deep sleep? How much of that time are you in REM sleep? So we can really start to pull our sleep apart. And this is something that, you know, a lot of wearables, things like Fitbits and Apple watches and whoops have really made accessible to a lot of people. It's just like seeing where they're at, but realize for a lot of those, they're just using an algorithm based on heart rate and movement to, you know, get a really good guess as to what zone you're in. And it's really easy to get fixated in that, quite frankly, obsessed with that. So that's obviously not the goal. The goal is to just start to push yourself in the right direction and to focus on getting as much good quality sleep as you can and creating the right environment for that. 
So when I was a high school health and fitness teacher, I actually did several lessons on sleep. And one of them was completely on sleep hygiene, which is sort of a fancy 21st century like biohacker term for basically just having good sleep habits surrounding your bed and time in bed. So, you know, just getting off your electronics, having your room be the right temperature, having it be dark in your room and there's not TVs um, or clocks that you can actually see while you're laying in bed making sure that's actually quiet. Like there's really basic things that a lot of people just don't do uh, because they don't take the time and really don't prioritize that and protect that as part of their time. So if this is not something that you spend significant amount of time either thinking about or setting habits to make sure that you're enforcing this time and to protect this time, yeah, really go deep on sleep and try to um, learn as much as you can because if you know and you don't do, then you don't actually know. So you need to figure out a way to get more sleep and to get better quality sleep. Yeah. So, I mean, that's definitely one of the things it's, um, the only thing besides performance, like, so those session scores is the only thing besides session scores that I track on a daily basis for my athletes. So every single day they have to record how much sleep they're getting. And it's something that I keep a fairly close eye on. You know, if it needs to happen where we're having a conversation, then it does. However, uh, for a lot of my athletes, they understand the importance of it. And for some of them, they have other responsibilities and they do the best that they can with the time that they have. And then it's like whatever time you've left, you spend sleeping. But anyway, that is my rant on sleep. Get more sleep, period. Next, let's go on to nutrition. So nutrition then is probably the next thing that I would say is going to be super important for your recovery because it's what's actually fueling you. So again, we have two different things we can think about. We can think about quality and quantity once again. So in terms of the quality, are you actually eating real food? For a lot of people, they don't eat real food. Like they're eating things that are processed, made in a factory. And it's like, yes, it once was real food, but now it's like in these lower forms where other things were added and other things were pulled out. So yeah, you started with uh, tomatoes and a grain and, uh, you know, milk or something else, but it's now a DiGiorno pizza. Like that is really far from what those original forms of food were. Basically they're dehydrated. Um, there's salt added into them. There's preservatives and other chemicals added into them. Um, a lot of the micronutrients of the vitamins and minerals are pulled out and stripped away. So are we actually eating real food? Like, can your body recognize what you're putting into your body? Um, are you eating vegetables and fruits and meats and nuts and seeds and starches or are you eating lower forms of that? If you're eating lower forms of that, you're going to be suboptimally fueled. So that's the quality aspect of things. However, we also have to think about the quantity. So this is, might be like where we could talk about macros, where even if you are eating real food, you need to make sure that you're getting the correct blend of carbs, fat, and protein, where yeah, you're actually feeling to fuel yourself on a day-to-day basis and making sure that you're also balancing your body composition and total weight along with that. So the other thing that I want to address here is that depending if someone is in a deficit versus a surplus versus a maintenance, let's just call it a cycle in their nutrition, that's certainly going to affect their energy and overall recovery. So if I have someone who's currently losing a little bit of weight, whether that's just a body composition goal or whether that's a performance-based goal, then certainly they're not going to be able to handle as much volume and they're just going to recover a little bit slower and their energy and metabolism is going to be overall a little bit lower. Like likely you're going to just be a little bit lower energy. You're going to you know move around a little bit less in your day. There's going to be ways that you try to conserve energy. And one of those ways is just by you know not producing as much work 
when you're actually in your sessions. So recovery and nutrition and whether you're in a deficit versus surplus are going to go hand in hand. And likewise, if you're in maybe a small surplus, you can probably handle just a little bit more volume where if you overfeed just a little bit, you can probably handle that a little bit more of the time. So again, nutrition is one of those things that is probably not focused on nearly enough um, for most athletes that I'm working with. Next is stress. Stress is really anything that is taking you away from homeostasis. So anything where you are moving away from a rest and digest state where you are nice and relaxed and completely comfortable, that is going to be at least somewhat stressful. Obviously, there's different levels of stress. If you are sitting in a car and it's 50 degrees and you're shivering a little bit, that's a completely different kind of stress than hammering the salt bike at 500 watts for 10 minutes. Completely different things. However, stress is stress. If you're being stressed, it is going to have a certain impact on your system and your nervous system and your autonomic nervous system. And it's just something that needs to be accounted for in your daily life. And that's why it's a part of these fatigue indicators. So let's talk about training stress. First of all, we can think of this as maybe the number of hard sessions that someone's doing in a certain week, um, or maybe we could track a volume that they're doing um, in terms of maybe number of hard sets that they're getting in a week um, within maybe a certain motor pattern, or maybe a total contraction volume in upper body pulling, things like that, where we can just start to track some of these gross metrics and get an idea of um, what someone's training stress looks like on a weekly basis or what your own training stress looks like on a weekly basis. So that was the training stress. Now let's talk about lifestyle stress. So these are things that are going on outside of training that still impact your recovery. So there's plenty of things that can create lifestyle stress. And a lot of them are just related to big cognitive tasks or occasionally sometimes traumatic events that happen in people's lives that are just super stressful. Like if someone goes through a breakup, their training volume needs to be less because they're they're just going to be completely stressed during that time. If someone has a loved one die or is in critical health or things like that that are really stressful to the psycho-emotional side of people um, and just like it's really taxing to the mind, it's stuff that needs to be accounted for um, even within their training. Uh, you just need to be aware of a lot of that stuff as a coach or as an athlete and making sure that if you are going through those things that you're maybe kind to yourself to a certain extent and make sure that you're not just hammering yourself because you feel like you need to or that you feel like you um, it's maybe even an outlet for you, but just being mindful of where you're at. The other part of this is understanding the difference between a professional or like an elite athlete who this is their job to do something um, and they get paid to work out versus a high level hobbyist. So someone like myself, I would consider to be a high level hobbyist where it is a hobby. I'm not getting paid to do it. Therefore, I am not a professional. I have other ways that I make money and get paid in fitness. However, I do not get paid to work out and to go to competitions or for me to represent sponsors as part of their brand. Like these things are not part of my job description. However, they can be for certain professional athletes. Um, these are just things that we have to take into account. Even if someone is a professional athlete, they have responsibilities. Likely they have significantly less cognitive stressors in their daily lives that things that take a lot of energy and mentally zap them. And certainly that impacts their physical abilities as well. However, even elite athletes have sponsorships that they have to maintain. They have to maintain their social media or YouTube or other ways that they can make money, especially since our sport isn't quite as far along as some of the other ones. Uh, and the last thing you can track for stress is things like HRV, 
so heart rate variability or resting heart rate. So HRV is measuring the time between beats of the heart. If the time between those beats is variable, meaning it's not the same every single time, that is actually a good thing because it shows that your body is more recovered and more able to handle stress. Whereas if you have very consistent time between beats, it means that you are basically less recovered or in a less parasympathetic state. The same thing could be said for resting heart rate. If you have a really low resting heart rate, it's a really good sign that you're pretty recovered. Whereas if you have an elevated resting heart rate, it basically means that your body's working to try to help you to recover. Um, so it just means that you have a little bit less recovery. So these are all things that we can start to track. Um, I know, you know, interns, coaches that have tracked resting heart rate. And if it's, you know, above uh, 45 beats per minute when they're laying in bed in the morning or something like that, they're not going to train that day or they're going to take an easy day. Um, and they can start to use those sort of metrics to guide training. And that's what we're talking in the second half of this. Next is pain and pain. I break down into two different categories. I think of it as uh, mechanical and metabolic pain. So mechanical pain is basically Think about like going through a range of motion or a certain pattern and that pattern causing pain. So if someone's squatting and they have joint irritation and their knees are getting inflamed, that's mechanical pain. If they go overhead and their shoulder gets irritated, that's mechanical pain. Whereas metabolic pain is like you're going hard in a workout and your legs start burning or your lungs start burning. That's metabolic pain uh, where you start to get in the pain cave. So both of these are going to have an effect on recovery and overall just the willingness for an athlete to dig. They're going to be less likely to go really hard in a workout if they're in any amount of significant pain. The less pain you're in, the harder you are willing to dig. Okay, so I have two more metrics that I want to go over and there's stuff that I think is really not talked about all that much, but I think they're two of the most important ones and I kind of saved them to the end because I think they go hand in hand and are highly underrated. So the first one is desire to train. Uh, and this is definitely a subjective measure. Like you can't put a scientific number on this. However, it is one of the most important things that you could potentially ask an athlete on a given day. So basically, do you want to train today? Is something that you could, you could ask them, right? And you might get a yes or a no, but ideally you're getting a little bit more information into the psychology of how they're actually feeling on a given day. Um, or you could ask something like, will you enjoy the training process today? Just getting an idea of, do you actually want to be here or not? Like, are you training or working out out of an obligation? That's one of the questions I used to ask myself because I have a habit of just working and putting in the work and trying to ignore things and rather than just being more cognizant of what's going on, just trying to work and put in the work and that being the default. And for some athletes, the work and, you know, just wanting to constantly be working out and to doing everything that you can is actually not helpful. So it's a matter of figuring out, are you actually working out because you want to? Do you actually, in, will you enjoy the training process today? Or are you doing this out of an obligation because you just feel like you have to? And then lastly is mood. Uh, and mood is highly correlated with how someone's probably going to perform on a given day. So for me, mood is very highly correlated with the amount of interaction that I'm comfortable with or want on a daily basis. So if I want to isolate myself a little bit more and to just kind of hold to myself and not be as energetic or outgoing, chances are I'm a little under recovered on those days where if I'm feeling more energetic and I'm more talkative and more um, willing to do interaction and maybe a little bit more extroverted on a particular day, that probably means that I'm just a little bit more recovered. So a question that I would potentially ask myself or I would ask an athlete um, if I was coaching them would be something like, 
without saying good, fine, or okay, how do you feel today? So in other words, you're forcing them to have an open-ended answer, trying to actually get them to say how they feel without just giving you some service level um, robotic-like response. So they really have to actually think about, oh, how do I feel today? So, oh yeah, my, my quads are a little tired. Um, I woke up and I was just a little bit you know, more stiff than I normally am, but overall energy feels okay. Something like that is so much more helpful than you know, maybe a, even an HRV score in a lot of cases. We can think about all these different ways that we can start to measure fatigue and how can we put them together into a more comprehensive snapshot of an athlete to be able to tell, should we actually have this person work out hard or not on a given day? So that's really what we're getting into in the second part here. It's monitoring athlete recovery. And the way I do this with my athletes is through automated weekly check-ins. So I have a Google form that I send my athletes every Sunday, uh, which is basically the start before the, the new training week. And um, it's a seven or 10 question form and the results get inputted into a spreadsheet and then I track their numbers week over week. So the spreadsheet is color coordinated um, based on their answers and a combination of subjective and objective uh, markers of fatigue. So something that's subjective might be mood um, or desire to train. Something that's objective might be the ways that they used or their sleep hours or something like that. So it's combining both the subjective and objective. And um, this really basically allows me to get a really quick snapshot of each athlete, um, sort of a big picture of their week, what their experience has been in that week, and then comparing that against other weeks. So for each of the questions, they're going to be answering from basically a scale of one to 10. And I've asked the questions in a certain way where every single time one is the worst and 10 is the best. So in every single question, I can see uh, what did they answer from a scale of one to 10 and see, um, you know, if they're all in the red because they put threes for a bunch of different things, then they're less recovered in a certain week. But then I can also take that and average it to get a single recovery score for that athlete on a given week from a score from one to 10. So it's a really quick snapshot. Oh, this person was at an eight this week. Um, so, wow. I mean, I guess we're coming off a D load. That makes sense, but looks like things are going really well. Or this person's at a, a four or five, you know, we might need to deload soon, or maybe they've got, you know, a little nagging entry stuff going on, like what's going on. And then I can look at their other answers to figure out exactly what's going on. Basically, it allows me to make training adjustments if I need to for that given athlete. However, there's also two other things that allows me to do. Number one, it allows me to look at at how the averages trend for individual athletes. So for example, I can look at Mary's week and I can see if she was you know, an average of a six one week, uh, 6.5 the next week, a 5.8 the next week, and the next week she was a four. Um, I can be like, oh, wow, that's definitely not her, how she normally answers these questions. Like something's definitely feeling off for her what is it? And I can see like, oh, why is her stress at a three? Um, and then I can message her and be like, hey, like, how's your week going? Like, is stuff going on at work? And oftentimes, like maybe what I thought or maybe even it starts a new conversation that I, I didn't even realize was going on with that athlete that allows us to figure out what's the source of the problem. And if there's anything that I can do as their coach to help um, either alleviate that or offset that or just training to make it more appropriate for them in that given moment. So that's the one thing. The other thing that allows me to do is that I get to actually look at the average of my entire group of athletes. So I'm coaching all these different athletes. What are not just maybe the trends, but maybe I get to even see some of my personal biases as the coach. So I get to look at them and like, 
man, like I realized that for a lot of people that their joints really aren't feeling that great on the course of maybe there are, you know, several of them are leading up into the open. I can see that, you know, all the people that are doing open prep, their joints are hurting a little bit. And I can just start to have a little bit more of a bird's eye perspective as to what's going on in the macro view um, of my programming. It really allows me to, you know, just have a little bit more insight as to what's going on with my athletes individually, but also as the whole. So let's jump into the questions that I actually asked them. The first question I asked them is their average session scores. So their spreadsheet will generate an average of their session scores, which they inputted already during each day of their week. So they just copy and paste from there, basically. Um, next is their average sleep score in hours, and that's correlated with a certain number, or they'll put that in. And once again, that's something that they filled out every single day. So those first two, they're basically just copying it out of their spreadsheet. Uh, the next one is their fatigue level. So again, this is completely subjective. I'm not having anything that they're you know, specifically measuring. I'm not having them do HRV or something. Um, it's just like, hey, like, how's your fatigue today versus um, last week at this time? And it's just a number from one to 10, one being super high fatigue, 10 being I feel great and have no fatigue um, and feel like super energetic. Where are you at today? It'll ask about nutrition quality. It'll ask about the amount of mechanical pain that they have. So joint distress, inflammation, things like that. Um, and then it'll ask about their overall stress levels. And for all of these, the one is always the worst. 10 is always the best. So it gives me one metric for each of these that really allows me to see the snapshot of their week. So that's what I do for my athletes, but I have a really similar test that I've made available as a quiz that can be taken daily, ideally at the same time daily to be able to tell your readiness to train. So this is something that um, I've used for a really long time. Just so you know, it's available. Um, you can download it as the PDF if you go to the show notes. So zorfitness.com slash podcast slash zero. 30. So if you go to this episode number, again, that's 030, you'll get to be able to download that. And it's something that I've used for a really long time. And it's just, it's basically those same ideas. Um, but some of the metrics are tweaked a little bit and they're weighted a little bit differently. So as I've said, I've personally used that for a number of years. Um, I know I've used it consistently for at least like a 12 month period. Um, I actually had it like printed out and laminated and like taped my fridge and then had these like eight little magnet buttons that I could like slide around so I could visualize each category and really easily and really quickly um, see where I was at at a given moment um, or a given day, I should say. And literally it takes like 15 or 20 seconds and it gives you a surprisingly accurate, um, like a readiness to train score. And it's always like a percentage out of a hundred. So there's 25 possible points and then you just multiply it by four to get your percentage. So if you're someone who is downloading this and you're actually going to use it, I would suggest using it for at least seven days and filling it out and tracking for at least seven days before making any training decisions based on it. So in other words, don't do it one day and be like, oh man, I got a 60% and all of a sudden that's bad or something. And now I'm not going to train that day. Wait until you actually, let's call it calibrate to figure out what is actually good or bad for you. So you need to compare against your scores. 60 is only bad if you average in the 70s, right? If you are 50 every single day, 50% every single day, and then you're at a 30%, okay, that's now bad, right? Whereas, you know, if you were at 30% every day and now you're at 50%, for someone else that might be bad, but if that's what you're going off of and you're consistent to you, then it works. And it's the same thing with my athletes. Like some of them answer, um, how do you feel in terms of like their mechanical pain? And some of them answer maybe a little bit lower every single time, but it's consistent because they're answering it in the same 
set of rules within their own head. So it's really about you versus you figuring out how you answer on one day versus how you answer on another day. So to put this in perspective, for example, I would answer maybe it was a 76%. And rather than me, you know, labeling that as good or bad, I waited for a period of time. And after like I, I did two weeks, after two weeks, I realized that for the most part, if I was somewhere in the 70s, like a 72 or 76%, I was gonna be good to go. Um, and I'd probably have a fine training session. If I was in the 80s, meant that I was probably a little bit more covered and I was probably gonna have a pretty good day for training. And if I was in the sixties or less, I should probably prioritize recovery and take a recovery day rather than trying to go hard on that particular day. So for myself, and I think for a lot of athletes, it's really helpful to have an external measure, something that you can look at and say like, wow, this is something where I don't have to feel like I'm being soft or that I'm training just because I'm obligated to do so, or I feel like I'm obligated to do so, but rather I'm ready to go. So I'm going to train today, or it's not me being soft. I'm just a little bit under recovered and I need to rest up so I can adapt optimally to the exercise moving forward. So this is how I would go about um, using these fatigue indicators to evaluate readiness to train. Hey, it's Ben again, and I wanted to take a minute to talk about our online training program, The Protocol. The Protocol is for athletes who want to train for the sport of fitness. It's programmed by me, and it's my best attempt at preparing athletes with varying strengths and weaknesses for the demands of the sport. And I do this through the use of silos, which basically means I segment parts of the program based upon athletes' ability in a particular area. So for example, an element of the program this fall on Tuesdays and Thursdays was gymnastics-focused training. And there are four different silos, so athletes could choose to work on chest bars or muscle-ups or handstand push-ups or handstand walks. In other words, we are all doing the same core program, but there are ways to individualize it on a weekly basis. And as part of the program, I also include coaches' notes, technique videos, and educational resources almost daily. My goal is to not just have this feel like you're doing a workout plan, but to feel like I'm actually coaching you through the process of becoming the best athlete you can be. And having access to the protocol is just part of the benefit of being a pro member. You also get instant access to the vault, which is exactly like it sounds. It means that you unlock the ability to be able to download all the programs that I've ever written. So this includes things like Bulletproof Body, which is the accessory work for functional fitness, gymnastics density for the big five, functional thickness, your first muscle up, cyclical supremacy, overhead squat mobility, breath work for the support of fitness, and it could go on and on. And lastly, you get instant access to pro articles, which are on topics that I really want to safeguard from the public and keep for my athletes. Stuff like cycle speeds for CrossFit open movements, strength ratio data analysis, so basically determining your relative weaknesses on strength work, breaking down sanctionals programming or games programming, energy systems testing and analysis, and a whole lot more. And if this sounds like stuff that you're into, you can get a seven-day free trial of Pro. Simply head over to zorfitness.com slash pro. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay the course.